and welcome to NSCA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and so pleased to have with us today Ken Hedgecock, familiar name to you know everyone in school bus. He's National Sales Manager, United Safety and Survivability Corporation. Hey, Ken, welcome to your maiden voyage at NSCA, The Bus Stop. Well, thank you, Kurt. Really honored to be able to uh, do this and hopefully communicate with, with some of my old friends for many, many years. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I usually get started, and one of the things I really like about doing the podcast is we kind of go through, you know, folks' history with Yellow Bus, and you really have, you know, quite a history with, you know, student transportation. So why don't we start there and, and you know, for anyone who doesn't know you, and even for the folks who do know you, just kind of, you know, summarize, you know, your background and all the great, you know, folks and information that you've come across over the, the years you've been in the industry. Well, it's pretty simple. For all but two years of my life, I have been involved in pupil transportation in some way, shape or form. Uh, when I was two years old, my dad joined Thomas Built Buses, working in the factory, building the buses. And you know, the, the yellow school bus has taken care of me, provided for me, and it's been a big part of my of all of my life since I was two years old. And then when I turned 18 and graduated from high school, I graduated from high school on a Friday night. Monday morning, I reported to the personnel office at Thomas Felt Buses and started my summer employment all the way through college. And when I got out of college and started teaching high school, Thomas was good enough to let me come back and work in the summers. So I was a 12-year summer employee. And then in 1987, I received a call from a guy by the name of Ted Clayton, who became my mentor, wanted to know if I was interested in maybe joining the sales group. So uh, that worked out. In 1987, I joined Thomasville Buses full-time and uh, then retired from Thomas at the... um, end of 2019, wasn't quite ready to just go home and do nothing. Quite frankly, my wife wasn't ready for me to go home and do nothing. So (laughs) I had the the honor and the privilege of joining United Safety and Survivability Corporation as their national sales manager, primarily focused on school bus, but it's been great. I've had to learn other industries as well. Yeah, and I was going to ask you if, if your wife had, you know, some impact on you, you know, taking uh, on your new role with the uh, USS. Yeah, it seems that uh, she did. <laughs> Which, when I told her I was going to retire from Thomas, she said, that is great. What's your next job? <laughs> <laughs> and she's yeah. right. I mean, we, you know, we all need to do something. We all need to contribute and uh, make a difference as long as we possibly can. So, for, uh, fortunately... I had the great opportunity, actually had that opportunity presented to me before I even officially retired at Thomas. So uh, I'm very, very pleased to work for a company with the standing of United Safety. Excellent company, great people. Well, let's let's talk about that uh, a little bit, Ken. What, what are you doing with United Safety and survivability these days? Basically, we are a safety products company. And we, bas- we take a look at our business in basically two different channels. One channel is the transit bus industry. We manufacture seats for the transit bus industry, driver seats, passenger seats, 
and we do some other safety related equipment. And then we have the other portion of the business that's called the distributor business. And that particular business focuses on school bus and every other industry that has a need for our products. That's where my focus is on the distributor arm of the business. I'm uh, obviously my my forte is the yellow school bus. So I spend a lot of my time on the yellow school bus from a safety product standpoint. But I've had to learn other uh, in industries as well, such as mining, steel production, airport handling equipment, waste management equipment. I'm trying to think of all the different ones. Uh, marine product equipment, because uh, one of my primary responsibilities is uh, on the fire suppression side. So uh, our products mm-hmm. serve all of those industries. So it's been a growth opportunity as, uh, as well for me to learn some new industries. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, pivoting back to, to school bus, you know, because you're a keen observer of, you know, student transportation for many, many years. You know, what what have you seen, you know, throughout the industry? And you mentioned that, that you actually left Thomasville buses at the tail end of uh, 2019. And then, as you know, we kind of entered into 2020 and got thrown into the, the you know, the pandemic. So a lot of things overall have been turned upside down, but especially with respect to student transportation. So what what have you seen over the past uh, few years? I would say that we're in the middle. I don't think we've, um, we're, we're not all the way through the middle of a paradigm shift in education as a whole. And obviously, as education is impacted, so will pupil transportation be as well. The pandemic might have been the accelerator for some of the changes that we're seeing in the, in education. You know, there was a lot of thought prior to the pandemic that education was headed to online type teaching and basically remote type learning. I think we learned through the pandemic that doesn't work. So we're not, we're not as an industry threatened by online education any longer for particularly for elementary students, middle school students, high school students. They need to be in the classroom. So, uh, but part of that paradigm shift is that a lot of parents are looking at non-traditional classroom opportunities for their children, and they're getting away from the old public schools. Charter schools are just exploding all over the country. Um, you're seeing a growth in parochial schools as well, and then there is also a growth uh, in in homeschooling. Uh, so the manner of uh, education is changing or the vehicle in education is changing. And as that changes, so is our industry going to change as well. Things like ride sharing businesses that are that are cropping up. They were unheard of prior to the pandemic or just in their infancy stages prior to the pandemic. They seem to be growing in popularity. And I think we're going to continue to see that. So. There's a look, there's a bit of an unknown as to what pupil transportation is going to look like in the next five years from an educational perspective. But one thing I am certain, it's going to look different than it looks today from a standpoint of how are the kids being educated? Where are the kids being educated? That's going to change over the next five to 10 years. And then, of course, you know, with the advent of electric vehicles, and I was in that I had had some experience with that at Thomas 
in my, you know, before I left, and that's going to have a significant impact on the industry as well. Yeah, for sure. And I like the way you you frame that as you know the pandemic being an accelerator on on some of these uh, transitions and evolutions you know that we're seeing. You know, with that in mind, you know, can take out your crystal ball and give us you know what you see as your vision of student transportation, say over the next decade. I think it's going to become more of a a customer demand enterprise than what it has been historically. In other words, people transportation is going to have to adapt, give the customers, i.e. the parents and the children, what they want and what they need. You know, in the past, it's been hop on the yellow school bus, go to the public school, come home. I think in the future, we're going to see a need for transportation in charter schools. We're going to see a need for transportation in magnet schools. We're going to see a need for transportation in parochial schools. So how we serve those students is going to significantly change what pupil transportation looks like. You know, we have historically been very, very protective of the yellow school bus and right Rightfully so. It has done a magnificent job. There's no safer industry, no safer way of transporting people in the world than, in the world than the yellow school bus. And I'm quite proud of that and uh, my role in that over these years. But I think we're going to see other colors enter into pupil transportation as well because our clientele, our customers are going to start demanding specialized needs uh, of uh, transportation that the yellow school bus might not, uh, in its original format, it might not fit. You, you, we're going to be looking at vans. We're going to be looking at cars. We're going to be looking at lots of different ways of transporting children because the specialized needs from an educational standpoint are going to dictate that. And also within 10 years, there is no doubt in my mind we're going to see a significant shift to electrification. I do believe it's coming. It may not come as quickly as I thought in 2019. I don't think it's the industry's fault that it may not happen as quickly as I thought in 2019. When I left Thomas and NSTA, along as well as the other associations, honored me with my contributions to the industry, I made a prediction that by the end of the decade, 50% of all school buses purchased would be electric vehicles. I think that opportunity still exists, but it might not be quite 50% by the end of the decade. And in my opinion, the pacing item in that is going to be the electric uh, companies, the power companies, and their ability to be able to meet those needs. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I, and I think we've seen some of that uh, play out in California, you know, recently. So I, I agree with you that, that the limitations are somewhat um, dependent upon, you know, external factors. And by external factors, I mean other than student transportation it, itself. Absolutely. So I couldn't, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Ken. You know, you know, one thing that you, you talked about, and it's the alternative you know, transportation providers, and we've seen that growing, uh, you know, I don't want to say exponentially, but it's been growing pretty regularly over the past two to three years. 
But one thing that uh, the yellow bus has always had on its side has been the fact that it, you know, as you mentioned, it's the safest form of transportation. And safety is really, you know, a thread woven directly into the fabric of, you know, student transportation. But I think with, you know, the advent of, you know, some of these alternative forms, in, in your mind, Ken, how can we ensure that safety still is a priority above, um, you know, expediency, above, you know, other other factors that are coming into play that, that uh, and, and I'm not even phrasing this real well, but the, the idea is that the yellow bus is the safest form of transportation. The way the bus is manufactured, the, the way the drivers are trained and, and qualified and licensed, you know, all that put together makes it safe. It doesn't exactly make it the most efficient form of transportation to school. So I guess the question I'm asking you is, how do we find that equilibrium? Because I, I'd be hard-pressed to say that we, we should trade efficiency in some cases, and, and that trade-off would be, um, you know, a reduction in safety for students. I understand what you say, Kurt, and uh, I, I think you're. I think that is the biggest threat uh, to the pupil transportation industry with these customer-driven changes that I made that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. The thing that we cannot do is that we cannot compromise number one on driver training and making sure that we have the best possible people behind the wheel of whatever vehicle it happens to be. You know, we cannot compromise on the level of training, uh, the level of screening, the actual tools that we give these drivers to succeed in what they do. So there can be no compromise on um, on what we have done and the progress that we have made on the driver's side. When it comes to the vehicle, we need to take the very same approach. You know, we may not be able to implement all of the same safety standards that have served us so well on the yellow school bus, but we can draw the line at certain things, certain safety features, certain safety components that need to be considered on alternative forms of transportation that have served the industry so well on the yellow school bus. Uh, and so we, we just need to make sure that we keep those same very high level of standards that have served us so very, very well in pupil transportation and basically carry those over where it is, wherever it's feasible to do so when it comes to any alternative form of transportation, including electrification. Because electrification Mm -hmm. is different from a vehicle perspective as well, radically different from uh, any form of, uh, you know, combustion power. From a standpoint right. of the vehicle, it simply can't afford to compromise. Because when we do, we're compromising the student's safety. Right. Uh, absolutely. Now, you know, one area that you're involved in intimately now, you know, is is with continued technological advances that that have kind of grown exponentially within the industry. And I, I guess, you know, those things are are great. Uh, are, are there any things that you can point to that you say, hey, yeah, we need to invest, you know, more money in, in this technology because it, it's going to, the cost of, 
cost-benefit ratio really pushes us in that direction? Is there anything that stands out in your mind? Well, obviously, the least safe component of pupil transportation is the loading and unloading zone. There are more children lost every year, significantly more children lost every year outside of the vehicle than are lost inside of the vehicle. So the thing that we need to do, we need to spend more money on, we need to do more research on, and we need to make sure that the contractors and the districts have the resources to uh, acquire state-of-the-art technology to make that loading and unloading zone as safe as can possibly be. And the United States, we are working on technologies that will allow us to do that. We uh, have uh, combined forces with a couple of other partners, and we've done phase one of a project in conjunction with the DOT uh, to take a look at that, the entire loading and unloading process, and uh, working on coming up with new technologies that will notify drivers of stop school buses, that will improve the lighting in the early morning and late evening hours where um, the lighting can be a challenge see the kids while they're crossing, uh, and also to improve uh, you know, the notification of it from a standpoint of visible notification from a stop arm perspective. So we're looking at a number of different initiatives that we feel like can improve that one area that is most danger, uh, that presents most danger to the students, and that's the loading and unloading zone. And then any type of safety technology we need to make sure that those people that are writing the checks for pupil transportation understand that that's an investment. It's not an expenditure. That's an mm -hmm. investment. It doesn't have to be just the technologies that my company produces. Uh, any type of safety technology, uh, we need to convince those that write the checks for that, that you're not just expending funds. You are investing funds in the future of our nation by keeping the kids safe. One loss life is one too many. Yeah, absolutely. And and well said, Ked. Um, you know, it was interesting because you, you mentioned, um, you, you know, day, daylight with respect to pickup and drop-off times. And a few months ago, you know, Congress was debating, you know, universal daylight savings time. And it was interesting. And so many people thought it was, you know, this is a no-brainer, got to do it. Like, what's the what's the point of this? But, you know, when you involved with student transportation, you understand like all of these decisions have a ripple effect and maybe unintended consequences that go along with them. But it was interesting, you know, like when you mentioned that, it was like, yeah, we were concerned, like, what's that going to mean in some places? What's that going to do at pickup time or in other places if sun's going down earlier? What's that going to mean for dropping off children? Well, you know, it, it, you it, know, it at night. Yeah, regardless of the time of the day, it's going to have an impact. It's either right. going to impact morning routes or it's going to impact the evening routes, one way or the other. And so if you start pushing toward a day, a, a uh, permanent daylight savings time, then, you know, just from what we're seeing now, the sun's coming up later, you know, every day. And as a right. result of that, particularly the further north you get, it's going to become more of a challenge with kids being picked up in the dark. So a lighting solution that illuminates the, uh, the the loading and unloading zone, not just the step well, but the entire loading and unloading zone is going to be critical 
if we do those types of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know that United Safety, you guys are also developing firearm detection technology. And obviously, you know, this is an issue that uh, affected all of us, you know, with recent history. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and its importance? Um, uh, Unfortunately, in the day and age that we live today, it's extremely important because it just seems to become more frequent every year. And it's a travesty and it's a tragedy, to say the least. Um, so what um, our company has done is we partnered with a company uh, that actually had partnered with the Department of Defense. They partnered with the Department of Defense in coming up with a technology that can recognize through cameras uh, a firearm and then immediately send notifications uh, over uh, GPS signals, modem signals, Wi-Fi signals, but can immediately send notifications. Uh, we, you, you can immediately see how that can be adapted to a building, uh, but the good news is that this company also has technology that could be adapted to a vehicle as well, to where you know it would recognize someone approaching the vehicle uh, with a displayed firearm uh, and then immediately send notification out to authorities, uh, to administration, to let them know that there's a potential risk. So we're in the infancy of this undertaking, uh, but we're really excited about what it can do, not just from a facility perspective, but from a vehicle perspective as well. Well, Ken, it's uh, been great catching up with you, and, and thank you for joining us on NSTA, the bus stop. If our listeners want to find out more about United Safety and Survivability, where can they go to find that information? They can go to our website, www.unitedsafetycorporation, one word, unitedsafetycorporation.com. Great. Once again, our guest today at NSDA, the bus stop, Ken Hedgecock, National Sales Manager, United Safety and Survivability Corporation and veteran of student transportation. Hey, Ken, great speaking with you today, and I look forward to seeing you soon, and we'll have to have you back on the bus stop in the, in the short term. Thank you, Kurt. Much appreciated.